Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I remember during Pastor Brad's prayer that I probably need a microphone. Uh, I, I don't ever forget that, but today I did. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're here for the very first time, we want you to know that the reason we exist is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. And we're in the middle of a series talking about the seven core values that drive us uh, to our, that target of sharing, growing, and living the new life of Jesus Christ with the world. One person, or yeah, one person at a time. And I have uh, uh, something I want to show you this morning. It's a picture, beautiful picture, I think. Uh, do you think that's pretty beautiful? Yeah, yeah that is Namso or Namso Lake. It's in the Tibetan Autonomous Region of China. It's 15,479 feet above sea level, and it's about the size of Allegheny County, 740 square miles. has five islands out in the middle of it, and uh, I was never so sick as when I was looking at that view in person. Uh, I get altitude sickness, and so I was, I was well, let's just put it politely. I was, uh, my stomach wasn't feeling good, and I couldn't breathe. Uh, and so at uh, the time we visited that, we went into a restaurant. There's a restaurant nearby, and I met an archaeologist from the United States. And we started up a conversation, and uh, it turned into a debate, and then it turned into an argument, and it lasted for about two hours. And Pastor Mark Geppert, who uh, was at the time the head of the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, this was back in 2010, he came by, he said hello, he sat in on the conversation for about five minutes, and he got up and said, good night, gentlemen, I'm going to bed. I should have taken my cue from Mark because I've never known of Mark not to want to talk to somebody about Jesus. That's what the conversation was about. And I didn't understand why he was leaving. But a little while later, I did understand why. The archaeologist was not a believer of any particular religion. In fact, what he told me was he had studied all the religions, and he sort of picks and chooses which parts of each religion that he liked. And uh, sort of like you and I might go to a buffet and pick and choose what kind of food we like. And any count, anyhow, in the middle of the conversation, or actually towards the beginning of the conversation, he asked me a question. He said, so are you here to tell these poor Tibetan people that they need to have Jesus in their life or they're going to go to hell? And I said, well, not exactly in those words, but yes, I'm here to tell the Tibetan people about Jesus. And he said, well, you don't have the right to do that. Nobody has the right to push their particular brand of religion on another, and especially not an indigenous tribal people. You don't have, you don't have the right to ruin their culture. You shouldn't be doing that. And so we continued and on and on and on and on for, you know, like I said, a couple hours. And finally, he said to me, well, you're certainly the most benign zealot I've ever known, but you still don't have the right to do what you think you're going to do here. And I said, well, could I pray for you? And he said, are you going to pray in the name of Jesus? I said, yes, I am. He said, no, thanks, I'm good. And I said, well, good night, I'm going to bed too. Uh, so anyway, I share that with you because there is something that we all need to acknowledge there are different religions in the world. In fact, the people of uh, that, I'm sorry, that picture again, the people, the Buddhist people that live there in the Tibetan region, until the Chinese government told them they weren't allowed to do this anymore, they would make pilgrimages to that lake in the wintertime. And they would walk out on the lake, it was frozen obviously, to one of those islands. And, and then they would stay there on that island uh, through the summer when the water had melted until the next winter. I mean, they, they would stay there praying, fasting, you know, and I guess they would scrounge around for the food that was there. And then when the lake froze over again, they would leave. Now, do you think that's, a, do you think that's strange? 
You think it's odd? You think it's challenging? You see, that's a religious practice, and Buddhists have certain religious practices, and Christians have certain, Muslims have certain, and even atheists, which is a religion, even though they would say they don't believe in any religion, but it takes a lot of faith to believe that there's no God. It's actually a very strong religion, and some are atheists, you know, basically out of laziness or out of ignorance, but there are zealous atheists who are very antagonistic against any other faith. And so while everybody might believe something different, and some people say they don't believe anything, in fact, uh, it's really an interesting thing to me that a lot of people say there isn't any truth, but everybody, and here's, here's the first point in your outline, if you're following along in the outline, at a certain level, all of us trust in truth. At a certain level, all of us trust in truth. And uh, even the ones who say there's no absolute truth, which the archaeologist was uh, one of the ones, and, and actually this is part of the debate we had, you know, he said there's no absolute truth, and I said, well, is that an absolute truth? And, and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you said that there is no absolute truth. So if that's true, then that's an absolute truth, that there's no truth. And I'm not trying to argue and debate with you all this morning or with anybody for that matter. All I'm trying to do is simply this. My goal is to set forth the, the truth that we trust here at New Life. We live in a free country. We can believe anything we want to or we can believe nothing if we want to. But it doesn't really matter what we believe. It matters what's true. And that's what we've sought to establish here for the 16 plus years that we've been New Life Christian Ministries is what is true. Because we want to pursue the truth here. And, and that's what we've been doing. And we acknowledge that there are many people around the world who don't believe there is truth and all different kind of people believe different truths. But at the end of the day, we believe here at New Life that there is absolute truth. And that part of that absolute truth is that there's a God. And that God is the creator of everything that exists. And so there are basically four biblical truths that have been established uh, if you read the Bible. And the first one is what I just said, and that is that there is creation. And, and the, the bottom line is we, we believe that. We believe, uh, secondly, that after creation, God uh, gave freedom to the human beings that he created, and those human beings fell uh, from a relationship with him, and we call that sin. And, and so the fall is the second thing we believe. The third thing that we believe is we believe that God redeemed us. In other words, he didn't let us you know, mire in our sin. He gave us the opportunity to get out of it, to be set free. And then finally what he did is he, allowed, uh, he established his kingdom. In fact, he establishes his kingdom in creation, that his kingdom is going to be eternal. And so he sent Jesus, his only son, to give us the ultimate redemption and to promise us that one day he would return after he rose from the dead and went back to heaven to establish his kingdom forever. So those are the four themes that we find in Scripture, the theme of creation and fall, of redemption, and of kingdom. And so that's what we've been talking about for 16 and a half years here at New Life. Every message that I or Brad or Mark or whoever teaches from, the, from this stage has to do with one of those four themes. And uh, in the course of this series All In, what we're seeking to do is to show us that if those things are true, then we need to devote our lives to them. And we've, we've, we're talking about seven core values. We're on the third one today, and I'd like to put those into context of all seven. So on the screen is going to be uh, the seven core values. We've done this for three weeks now. Those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks know what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to say the core value, and I'm going to ask you to say what the next step we need to take is, the action point we need to take in order to live it out. So I'm going to say the first one. We follow Jesus. You say? All right, you're awake today. We care for lost people. And today's is we trust the Bible. We engage in worship. We love each other. We live in the Spirit. And we, 
Oh, I'm sorry. And we give generously. So notice it said we trust the Bible. Why does it say we trust the Bible instead of we believe in the Bible? Here at New Life, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we trust the Bible. Why don't we say we believe in the Bible or we accept the Bible? Why is it the word trust? Because there's a difference between believing in something and trusting something. Believing in, and I hope sometime in your life somebody has said, I believe in you. Because what that means is they're all in for you. They, they believe that if they needed something, you would be there for them. They belie- you believe, when you say, or the person says, I, I believe in you, it means that they know that when there is this time, when push comes to shove, you won't abandon them, that you'll be there. And that's what it means to believe in God, except to the nth degree. Trust, on the other hand, defined by dictionary.com, goes like this. It's reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, and surety of a person or thing. Confidence. So what we know for sure is that we trust the Bible to always tell us the truth. We trust that when we turn to the Bible and it tells us something, it will be good for us. It will be something that will benefit us in our lives, and that's why we trust it. And today's take-home point acknowledges a very simple truth. And for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point that we want to remember and take home and live out in the week ahead. And here's this week's take-home point. We can only trust God's Word when we know it. In other words, how can you trust something that you don't know? How can you trust in the Word of God if you haven't read it? How can I trust the Word of God if I don't know what it says? And I've talked to a lot of people over the years about the Bible, and I've said, you know, what do you think about the Bible? I think it's a bunch of myths and legends. And I say, have you read it? And ordinarily what they say is parts of it. I've read parts of it. And what I know from reading parts of it is that, you know, Jesus supposedly walked on water, he rose from the dead, he healed sick people, you know. That's, that's a legend, that's a myth, it can't be true. And the reason people say that is because, as we talked about back in our series, Wake Up the Wonder in the middle of the summer, we live in a society that has been influenced by rationalism for the last 400 plus years. And rationalism says that there is no supernatural All there is is the natural, what we can see, taste, touch, smell, hear. The things that we can observe with our senses, that's all that exists. There's nothing beyond that. Well, if you exclude everything beyond that just by, you know, using your rational mind and you say miracles can't happen, then, of course, you don't believe that they happen. It doesn't mean they can't happen. It just means you've excluded it from your experience. And that's what we've done in this culture for hundreds of years now. And so anything that sounds supernatural, we just discount and say that's a myth, that's a legend, that's a story fairy tale. It's not true. And, and, and the reality is, as I already said, the Bible establishes that creation was a, a supernatural event, that there was a God who always existed and he created everything. The fall was not a supernatural event in that it was, you know, it was some demon or angel forced it to happen. It was a naturally occurring thing. Two human beings in their natural um, being decided to reject God. But the consequences were supernatural because this battle that's always going on that we can't see between the forces of God and the forces of evil led by Satan, they're all around us always going on. And and Satan influenced the decision, but at the end of the day, we always have the freedom to choose, which it will be. God's redemption is supernatural because Jesus, the only perfect human being who's also God, died in our place so that we could have a new life. And then, of course, his kingdom is both natural and supernatural because we will live in his kingdom, which will be a real place. Um, but it's, it will be eternal, which is a supernatural reality. So what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to 2 Timothy 
a book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, his son in the faith. Um, and, and Paul was in prison, and he wrote to Timothy to exhort and encourage him about things that were true and necessary for his life, to challenge him and to encourage him. And in this uh, portion, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, we're going to do two things. We're going to look at Paul's life experience that shows that he was all in for Jesus. And then we're going to look at what Paul said about the Bible, about Scripture and its truth. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And uh, if, you, if you don't have your Bible or Bible app, it'll be up on the screen. But before we read, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're there right now. We thank you for your truth that comes from your word. And today, God, we pray that you would open our minds, our hearts, our, holy, our, our spirits by your Holy Spirit, that we might receive that truth and then be empowered to live it out in the week ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul wrote to Timothy, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. It reads like a personal letter because it is. Paul, as I said, was writing, uh, and this is the second letter that he wrote to Timothy from prison to, to help Timothy with his growth and his walk with, with the Lord. And uh, it's not just a personal letter, though. It's the, the Word of God. God influenced the words that Paul wrote, and God guided the words that Paul wrote so that these words are not just for Timothy, but they're for all of us as well. And what we've learned over the years, uh, actually I've been sharing this for the last seven years, uh, it's a formula, two formulas, that information minus application, it's just information. If Timothy had just read these words and just sort of put them on the shelf, it would have just been information. But information plus application equals transformation. And that's what Paul was wanting to see happen in Timothy's life. There was already transformation going on in Tim Timothy's life, but Paul wanted it to continue to, to grow and develop and to, to deepen and so Paul and Timothy were intimately acquainted. Timothy had gone on a number of mission trips, if you will, with uh, Paul. And so he had seen what Paul had experienced in his life. And some of you have been on mission trips with me, and you know me a little better than those of you who haven't, who've only known me from standing up here on the weekends. And every time I go on a mission trip, after a week or so, I say to the people who have never been with me before, so what do you think is the difference between the Chris Marshall in the mission field and the Chris Marshall who stands up and preaches week to week? Because I want to know if there's a consistency between who I really am, because that's, you're going to be who you really are in the mission field, and the person here. And what they always say, basically they say this, you're the same person here in the mission field as you are back home with one difference. You have less of a filter, and you seem to be more joyful than you are on the weekends. Interesting. So that's, I can live with that. I can live with that, right? So that's a pretty powerful thing that... Somebody knows you well enough to know your insides. And, and Paul told Timothy, you know my purpose in life. What a powerful statement. Because so many people in, in, in the world, in Paul's time, right on through today, they don't have a purpose in life. They're just sort of drifting along like a log in a river, right? There's, there's no real purpose. But Paul had told Timothy his purpose and not only told him it, but he lived it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the next thing that we find is that... Um, while Timothy's aware of these things, uh, there's also action involved. He's, he had written, you know my faith, my patience, my love and endurance. But he adds, and you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. So this is the Bible 
Therefore, it's true. We trust it because it's true. And what Paul is saying is, if you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll experience these wonderful things, faith, patience, love, and endurance. And we look at those and we go, wow, I want faith, love, patience, endurance. I want that in my life. But Paul adds something else, persecution and suffering. In fact, he adds three locations. So we know this isn't just, a, you know, this isn't just in his mind. But he was actually in cities, and they did things like put him in prison. They beat him with rods. They beat him with whips. They, they threw stones at him. One time they, they threw stones at him, and they thought they killed him. And they carried him out of the city, and, and then he actually got back up again. So, I mean, this was not an easy life, and Timothy knew that. He didn't see everything that happened to Paul, but he had seen enough to know that along with these good things that happened, there are challenges. In fact, what Paul writes next is this. After, he says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know what? I've never seen that on a wall hanging in anybody's home. I, I don't go into somebody's bathroom and see the little scripture verse that says, you know, everybody who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's another thing that we love about the Bible and that we trust about the Bible. And that is the, the Bible tells us the hard truths as well as the things that we want to hear. Sometimes I think people don't want to read the Bible because they know there's hard stuff in there and they don't want the hard stuff, they just want the promises. And so they want to, you know, they want to look up the sort of the cliff notes and tell about all the good things. And there are so many good things. There are so many promises in Scripture, hundreds and hundreds of promises, hundreds and hundreds of principles that we live by, but it also tells us that when we live out those principles and those promises, other people won't like it very much, and the devil certainly won't like it very much, and there will be suffering and persecution along with the good things. And both the good things and the suffering is intended for our growth and our development. So Paul continues to inform Timothy about the realities of, the, of what it means to follow Jesus. And remember, he wrote these letters to encourage and challenge Timothy, but God used those, uses them to encourage and challenge us even to this day because it's his word. And so what Paul wrote was this, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Now those words were written nearly 2,000 years ago, but it sounds like they could have been written for the culture we live in, doesn't it? There's a lot of imposters out there. There's a lot of evil going on in the world. All you have to do is, you know, get out any electronic device and turn it on and you'll hear about something else bad that happened and some other person that has just been, you know, fleeced out of all of their life savings from some swindler. There are imposters. There are deceivers. There is evil in the world. And the interesting thing to me is back, you know, almost, well, it's a long, long time ago, back in the early 80s when I was in seminary, I had to read a book called A Theology of the Social Gospel. It was written back in 1917 by a man named Walter Rauschenbusch. And his premise was that because of Jesus' influence in the world, the world was going to get better and better and better. And, and you know, within 30 or 40 years, the whole world would just be a lovely, wonderful place. <laughs> Interesting that he wrote it in the middle of World War I. And, and if that didn't convince people that the world wasn't becoming a lovely place, you know, World War II came along. And that convinced people, if anything, that human beings are not getting better. In fact, every time I hear about this whole idea, you know, an evolutionary idea is that we will continue to get better and better and better and better. If that's really true, then why not? Why are we not getting better and better and better and better? And Walter Rauschenbusch's problem, I realized this as I read the book, is he didn't believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. He believed that Jesus was just a role model that we should follow. And I realized even way back then, 
that a role model is not enough. I need a savior. I don't need a role model. You need a savior. You don't just need a role model. And the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is the only thing that overcomes all of the imposters and the deception and the sin and the evil that clings so closely in all of our lives. So then after Paul had given uh, all of these instructions about what he had gone through and about what was going on in the world around Timothy and, and himself and what for our benefit is going on in our world today, he started to talk about Scripture. And this is what he said, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught, You know they are true, for you know who you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. There is no substitute for God's Word. Now, can a person come to know Jesus Christ without God's Word, without the Bible? Yes. In fact, I've I've known many uh, in other countries where they don't even have Bibles. You know, somebody tells somebody about Jesus, tells them about the life that's as as possible, about getting away from and overcoming the evil that is all around us, and people respond and say, yes, I want that in my life. I don't want to follow... I don't want to follow the ways of the world anymore. I don't want this this sense that nothing is ever going to be right in my life. I want Jesus, and so they trust Jesus. But once we trust Jesus, the most important thing we can do, really, the most important thing we can do once we trust Jesus is to pick up this book and start to read it. Because in it is the truth of God. It gives us next steps that we can take in every area of our lives so that we, be, we can become more and more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. We're never gonna, this isn't just a do-it-yourself help guide, right? This is a do-it-in-the-power-of-the-Holy-Spirit guide because apart from that, we're just, you know, all the good advice in the world doesn't change us. And yet here's the thing. If we have that book, and we do, but we never read it, it can't change us. If I had a problem in my life and I told you about it and you said, Chris, I just read the best book. It, it, it's the definitive work on what your problem is. Here it is. If you read this book and do what it says, your life will be changed forever. And I said, thank you so much. And I took the book and I took it home and put it on my shelf and I never read it. Would you think I wanted to be rid of my problem? No. And yet so often that's what we do. We have this wonderful book. In fact, most Americans have five or six of these in their home. But having one of these in your home doesn't do anything. It's having the, the thing in your home and then reading it. So Paul closes this section by telling us how important Scripture is by saying this. All Scripture, and whenever he says all Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. Because the New Testament wasn't yet written. But the New Testament is Scripture too, so it applies to the New Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, Paul first establishes that all Scripture is inspired by God. That literally means breathed out by God. God's hand is on all of Scripture. And then he says there are five things that will happen when we read the Bible. Five reasons why we ought to read the Bible. Number one, it teaches us what's true. Number two, it makes us realize what's wrong. Number three, it corrects us when we are wrong. Number four, it teaches us to do what is right. And number five, it prepares and equips us to do every good work. Now, the interesting thing is point number one and four correspond, and points number two and three correspond. And if you were putting one, two, three, four, and you connected the dots, it it makes an X. And that was purposeful. It was a memory thing. Because remember, in those days, they didn't have a lot of copies of the Bible. 
right? This letter was the first one, and then they had to handwrite copies in order to get them to be passed on. And so they made memory devices in the very text itself. Number one says what? It says that it teaches us what is true, and number four says it teaches us to do what is right. So one is the information, four is the action. And then number two says, it says it makes us realize what is wrong. And then number three says it corrects us when we're wrong. So two is the, the information. It teaches us what's wrong. But number three is the action. It corrects what's wrong. So the Bible is designed not just to give us information about what's right and wrong, but it gives us the actions we can take to do what is right and to stop doing what is wrong. And then the underlying and overall purpose is as we do that, we will be prepared and equipped to do every good work, all the good works that God calls us to do. So Paul assumed that Timothy would believe what he wrote because Timothy believed in Paul. You see, when Timothy received the letter from Paul, he knew that what he was going to read was true. He knew that it was valid. He knew that he could trust it. And we can do the same, not only because Paul wrote it, but because Paul was inspired by God himself as he wrote it, and that's why it's true. So what we need to understand today is if we have a book that we can trust, because it's true, we have confidence in it, it's going to tell us what's right and what's wrong, it's going to show us how to do what's right and and to stop doing what's wrong, then there's only one more thing left to do, and that's the commitment for this morning. And it's very simple. It's this, this, I will read the Bible daily this week. I will read the Bible daily this week. If you don't already do that, this is a very powerful commitment. If you already do that, you're just going to keep doing it. It's still a very powerful commitment. There have been so many studies done across America over the last like four or five decades on what what is the difference between Christians who actually grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, actually follow Jesus, and sort of just drift along. And every single one of them says the single most important thing is this. Those who are growing in their faith are reading and applying the Bible in their lives. And you almost want to go, duh, right? I mean, really, that's all you have to do? Yes, that's all we have to do, is read it and apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But somebody might say, well, how do I do that? I mean, where do I start? That's a great question. Where do you start in the Bible? Some people start in Genesis, nothing wrong with that. But if you've never read the Bible before, I would suggest that you start in the Gospel of Mark. Some people say John, but I say Mark for this reason. There are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. It's the action-oriented gospel. They're all action-oriented, but it's mostly more action than it is talk. And if you have 16 chapters, that means if you started on the first day of a month and went to the 16th, you would read it through once. And then if you went to the 17th and read to the end, you would be almost done again. And so just read the last chapter, you know, on the day 31 or day 30, read a couple chapters. In any case, read the gospel of Mark through twice a month for about six months. And what will happen is you will have an understanding of who Jesus is, what he did. And there's nothing more important than knowing that. Then I also suggest that at the same time, if you want to read a little bit more, read one chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there are 31 days in most months, right? So you just read a chapter a day. And the cool thing about Proverbs, you could start today. What is this, the 22nd? You could start in chapter 22 of Proverbs. It doesn't matter because Proverbs is just a list, a long list of wise sayings from King Solomon, influenced and, and, you know, and guided by the Holy Spirit. So they're true and they're valid and they talk about things like work. They talk about relationships, talks about anger and how to manage your anger in your life. It talks, talks about every practical thing you can imagine. And so if you read through the book of Proverbs one chapter a day for a year, 
You had to have the wisdom of the wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus, influenced by the Holy Spirit, and it, would, it changes your life. That's the whole point, is reading it changes your life. If you want to have a program, uh, there's a thing called version, and you can go on your, bio, you know, on your phone, on your you know, iPad, other electronic device, and you can look up. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of reading plans. If you want to read through the whole Bible, it will tell you how to do that. I, I love Professor Horner's Bible study. It's 250 days you read through the whole Bible, and you read through most of it more than one time. It's an intensive one. It's 10 chapters a day. Every day for 250 days, and you're done. Um, there's ones that are chronologically how the Bible was written, you know, and the events in chronological order. I also want to tell you, if you're a little boy or girl, there are even uh, Bible programs for children, preschoolers, middle schoolers, adults, and high schoolers. Everybody, everybody. There are programs. Some are actually um, videos, and some are audio. I love the audio when I listen to the Bible whenever I'm driving in the car because I learn better auditorily. Some people learn better by, you know, actually reading the, the book. It, well, however you learn, use that method and read. As you do that, let the, ask the Holy Spirit to, to apply what you're learning and it's not how much you read that matters. In fact, you know, I don't think it's really a problem finding what program, what, what plan, whatever. Those are, there's thousands of those. The challenge is just doing it. You know, five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. Whatever you have available, start there. There's a devotion that's called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It's old, old, old. I mean, older than me. Uh, and I've been reading it, actually, since I was a teenager. I read it from a teenager until I was in my 30s. Then I went on to other things. The last couple of weeks, I came back to it. Pastor Barry's been reading it. He's been challenging us with some of the, the ideas. The ideas uh, that are true from Scripture, they never change. The wording can change, you know, by the, the way we use language, but the, the ideas are always true. And so I, I guess what I'm, I'm exhorting you, I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you, pick up your, your Bible and read it every day because we can't really say we trust the Bible unless we read it, right? So, so far we've said we follow Jesus, we care for lost people, and we trust the Bible. And there is information about all of those in here. But the only thing that will change us and the world around us is if we apply that information in the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, let's pray and let's ask God to let us apply what we've learned in the power of the Spirit. Almighty God, I do pray that very thing, that right now you'd fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us a passion for your word, that we would want to read it and then live it in the power of your Spirit on a daily basis. God, I thank you that we have the truth and we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit so we can live it out in love. And God, I pray today, if there's anybody here, anybody watching online who has not yet trusted Jesus Christ, believed in him as Savior and Lord, as, as he told the people, all you really have to do is believe in me, then I pray that right now they would do that. God, that they would simply say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you are real. I believe that you are the Savior and Lord of all. And God, I know that as people do that, you come into their lives and it's an eternal switch that is changed. And from that moment forward, you will be with them and you will guide them. And God, I thank you for those who do that right now. And for those of us who have done it, I pray simply that you will continue to fill us with your spirit. Give us the ability to live out the things that we read. And God, once again, please, Give us a passion to read your word so that we can truly trust it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.